Okay, well, welcome back uh, to another episode of MPMA's Bug Bites. Um, the last time I sat down in this chair and started to record an episode of Bug Bites, it was January of 2020. And fast forward to now, it is now February of 2021, and man has a lot changed since the last time I sat down to do this. Um, I'm sure I don't have to remind everybody of what 2020 was like and all of the crazy things that it brought to the table. Um, like many of you, uh, our our entire staff here at MPMA was pulled in a million different directions and uh, forced to get caught up to speed on what a virtual world looked like. And um, that certainly uh, led me to be pulled in a bunch of different directions that unfortunately did not include uh, the podcast episodes at the time, but I am so incredibly excited to be back here and uh, doing this because this has been a uh, passion project of mine since day one. Um, and one thing that I wanted to do was take the opportunity since this is kind of, uh, you know, hashtag new year, new me. We're starting off 2021. I really wanted to take a different approach to how I was doing this podcast. And one of the big things that I wanted to do with this new approach was include the rest of our technical team. Um, because let's be honest, I'm probably not the most <laughs> exciting uh, and engaging guy. And I could certainly use some help from some other hosts on the podcast. So here's what we're going to do. The format of the podcast is going to change. So the way it's going to work is each month I'm going to be joined by uh, Dr. Brittany Campbell and Dr. Jim Fredericks, the other two PhD entomologists on our staff. And what we're going to do is we're going to pick our favorite news articles or research articles or publications from the month before. Each one of us are going to pick one and um, we're going to try to provide you with a brief summary of what that research or that information is. Now, here's how we're going to keep it interesting. We're going to turn this into a game. We'll each only have five minutes to give you that summary. So that, uh, you know, keeps us from from getting a little bit too nerdy and uh, and to keep us from going completely off the rails in this five minutes. We're going to invite on each episode a different special guest. And the purpose of that guest is going to be somebody that is not a PhD entomologist. They are, uh, you know, somebody in the pest control industry. Maybe it's somebody in the MPMA staff. Um, and uh, their role is to kind of keep us in check and let us know if we're getting a little bit too uh, outside the box of normal conversation, if things are getting a little bit too wild and nerdy. Um, and if we talk about things that uh, just simply don't make any sense to them, they're going to let us know and they're going to say, hey, you got to explain that because what you just said is not part of the English language and that doesn't make any sense because when uh, Brittany, Jim, and I get together, things can get a little bit nerdy um, and a little bit bug heavy. So that's going to be how we kind of keep the conversation in check. Now, our special guest is going to ultimately pick a winner for that episode. Uh, what defines the winner? I don't really know. It's whatever the special guest decides. Maybe it's who had the funniest summary. Maybe it was who had the easiest to understand summary. Who knows? Um, it's that that qualification for what defines the winner is going to change from guest to guest. So that's going to kind of keep it interesting and make it a lot of fun. So hopefully from this new format, uh, it's going to be a more fun way to deliver the most current information. And this could be, you know, maybe it's a podcast you come back to every single month or, or every few weeks as fast as we can turn 
send these out as a source of you know your current events and latest information that's going on in the pest control industry. So without further ado, I'm very excited to introduce you to our newest format for the podcast. And our special guest star for this episode is Joe Morgan O'Bear. She is our education coordinator for the National Pest Management Association, an absolutely integral part of our team, and uh, probably one of the funnier uh, people that I've ever met. So she was a fantastic addition to this. Um, We're certainly going to have her back on. So, all right. Well, here we go. Hope you enjoy. All right. I think I have everything set up right. I don't know. We could do this whole thing and then... Uh, you forgot to push record. No, it's, it is recording, but it's supposed to be recording each one of our audio separately, which is supposed to be the... Oh. So if, yeah. if this doing works... That, like, we don't have to do anything. Like You're pulling all the audio however you need to through the Zoom? Yes. Okay. I know. I'm stupid with technology. I'm going okay? to need you to transcribe your portion of this so I have that for, for later. So. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> right. This is a practice. I'll go record by myself later. Yeah. I've uh, I've written a script, so I'm good. I'm just going to be reading off cue cards. Oh, held I'm not. A, held by a tiny mouse. Held by a tiny mouse balancing on top of my laptop screen. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds good. Uh, Joe, thanks for for being subjected to this and agreeing to do this with us today. So um, thank you for letting me join you. I'm happy to be here Yeah, no as problem. a non-bug so, person in the room. Yeah, absolutely. So does it kind of make sense what we're going to do? We're going to bore you for about 15 minutes and then you're going to let us know which one of us was the least boring, basically. Yeah, it's a little bit like a lot of our morning meetings where you guys start going off on your bug talk. So I'm prepared. I've been here before. So for you, this is just business as usual, right? Yeah, this is just like a Tuesday. Awesome. Well, that's good. Well, well, now you have a creative license to be able to say and share uh, however you feel about each one of these. So, um, you know, the one thing we didn't work out uh, before this was the order in which we were going to go. And naturally, being um, uh, gentlemen, I would assume that ladies go first. So Brittany Campbell should probably be the first person to go. Unless... I, think I, I, I agree, Mike. I yeah. concur. Dr. Campbell uh, yeah. should go first. Yeah, Dr. Campbell, we're going to go ahead and ask that you go first. And so what we'll do, uh, a few ground rules, and we're going to continue to come up with these ground rules as we go. Um, this is going to be a constantly changing uh, format here, but I think that it would be good. You know, Jim, you brought up the idea to say the title of the the paper or the the topic that we're going to be presenting on and then once you're ready to start uh, you let me know and i will start the five minute clock and you will get a hard buzzer at five minutes do i get anything if i do it in less than five minutes jill's admiration for not having to bore her longer than she already needs to (laughs) that's true my goal is to win this already 15 minutes of your life you're never getting back jill congratulations (laughs) (laughs) all right so i'm not going to count you reading the title towards your five minute clock okay so we're not we're going to do our own title we're not doing all of our titles together I'm officially, I'm about to start. Well, you read your title and then I'll start your clock just in case, because it may take some of us longer to read than others. Yeah, mine definitely has big words that I'll stumble over. (laughs) Uh, I didn't uh, realize that like titles were going to be a big part. This is going to take so much time discussion about how these are, these seems like there's going to be some long titles. It could be. Oh yeah, not mine. Not mine. (laughs) I had no idea. All right. Can we go ahead? Yeah, it's whenever you're ready. 
All right. Hi, everyone, guys, gals, esteemed listeners out there. I first want to thank uh, these two jokers, uh, Mike and Jim, for allowing me to be on the podcast, especially because I have a really high-pitched voice and a southern accent. So best of luck to all of you uh, for allowing me to actually be on this podcast. Uh, my name is Brittany Campbell. I'm an entomologist at NPMA, Director of Technical Services. And today I want to talk about a paper that really is, um, I would say, close to my heart. And the title of my paper I chose was Arachnophobic Entomologists, Why Two Legs Make All the Difference. And, you know, why this is so relatable to me is because I'm afraid of spiders. And honestly, I'm afraid to tell all of you, especially um, our, our other podcasters here, is because I'm afraid that I'm giving you my kryptonite. Like, now you're all going to know what I'm most afraid of, my biggest weakness, um, and that's spiders. But I will say I've come a long way. Um, so I came across this paper because the, uh, the person who wrote it, his name is Richard Fetter. He's a retired research associate and spider specialist who worked in the entomology department at UC Riverside for 32 years. So he was a, an arachnologist, I think that's what they're called. And he published this paper back in 2013, but then I heard about these really weird awards. This is the award ceremony that they do at Harvard. And he just won an award this year, well actually in 2020, um, on this paper and it's called the Ig Nobel Prize Awards. And so it's really bizarre. I went and YouTubed it, um, but essentially it's a scientific achievement, which is kind of bizarre and humorous. So I don't know that it's the most esteemed prestigious award, but they actually have um, incredibly smart scientists who win the real Nobel Prize awards, uh, give these awards away to these Ig Nobel laureates. And the theme this year was entomology. So he wins this award. The guy giving out the award, he looks like uh, he's wearing like a top hat. He has this very large fly tie that he's wearing. So um, if you get incredibly bored and want to go watch the Ig Nobel Prize Award, um, it's, it's quite, the, quite the award ceremony. I've never seen anything like it. Um, so why I found this paper interesting, I already told you I'm kind of afraid of spiders, but a little bit of background, because um, it really relates to what this paper found, is that it really spoke to me as an, an entomologist who has a little bit of a fear of spiders. Uh, not only am I an entomologist, but I studied what most people, um, one of their biggest fears, I studied bed bugs. I don't have any fear of bed bugs. I would much rather lay in a bed with bed bugs crawling all over me and run into a spider web. Well, um, but I haven't always felt that way about bed bugs because I studied them for so long, kind of became desensitized. And I had a few um, interactions with spiders throughout my life too that probably didn't help. Uh, when I was a kid, we had black widows in my garage where I stored my, my roller skates. And my dad terrified me, told me to check my roller skates because I may die if I had a black widow in them. I had a friend whose grandmother got bit, bitten, bitter bitten, I, I never get that right, by a brown recluse spider when she put on her garden gloves. She actually lost her finger. Um, yeah, yeah. And my dad also threw a wolf spider at me as a kid because he thought it was funny knowing I was what? And I didn't go outside for two days and was completely um, so I've had some bad experiences, even in graduate school. Let me tell you what my friends is, so I don't want to tell you about my fears. 
Um, so people learned my fears because if you're, oh my gosh, I'm already at three minutes. <laughs> Anyways, they played this horrible trick and they put my computer mouse in a plastic container and said, do you want to play a game? And um, I had to solve a bunch of riddles before they would let my computer mouse go. Um, so let's jump into the paper. I'm already talking way too much. So that's me. Um, but the paper itself, it was a study, a questionnaire that was sent out to entomologists. There were a total of 41 entomologists who responded. And in order to participate, the respondents had to meet three qualifications. They had to be entomologists, they had to have fear of spiders, they had to actually work with live insects or arthropods, and they had to have negative feelings against spiders. And they had to take this survey called the Fear of Spider Questionnaire. And they, it basically rated their disgust and fear of spiders. They had to talk about their negative experiences or if family members influenced them, AKA my dad, I have one minute. The average score was 28.2. However, a lot of those entomologists were terrified. Uh, so let's see, some of them even worked with cockroaches and flies, nasty bugs. One of the forensic entomologists who routinely handled maggots gave spiders a maximum disgusting score of five. 19 of the 41 respondents, so scientists, replied that they had negative incidents with spiders. Many of those had a negative incident with black widows um, and were terrified at a young age. So in conclusion, the paper found that arachnophobia, it's a hard word for me, usually develops in childhood. Most people don't know the exact moment they became afraid of spiders. Um, so out of curiosity, I went and took the quiz myself. I scored That's a 60 five minutes. and eight. You can keep going, but that's five minutes. I'm almost done. Two, like 10 more seconds, 10 more seconds. So, so my dogs are barking too. Uh, so I took the quiz just to see how scared I am of spiders. A score of 89 out of 126 means you're arachnophobic. I scored a 60. So I think I've somewhat overcome my fear of spiders, but I'm very glad to know that I'm not alone. And many pest control operators have also, I, I Saw a Facebook survey recently where people were just asking. Um, it's common that uh, us entomologists, pest control operators out there do have a fear of insects. And he said they were afraid of bed bugs, fleas, ticks. So it's not uncommon that even though we're around these insects all the time and spiders, uh, many of you also share my fear. So you're not alone. Okay, yeah. Ah, oh, went over by 49 so seconds. I Dang it. Um, while we did not really come up with a formal way for you to score this, Jill, I think maybe we should do it out of 100. And for every second that you go over five minutes, that should come off of your score. No, because no. you can't start coming up with hey, the Hey, look, if you now. want to take three minutes and 30 seconds to give us your backstory of your childhood, that's on you. Like, you need to, Jim, I hope you it were taking important. notes, buddy. It was. I, it was important. Well, Jill, let me just give you a little bit of context for Brittany, and because um, I know you you're around her a lot in the office and things. But but in general, Brittany is like fearless. Uh, for instance, me, Mike, and Brittany were um, were walking in the woods near the woods one day, and this me and Mike were kind of off to the side. And we saw this snake, um, uh, some sort of a black snake. And I, I'm not a snake lover. Some sort of a black snake. It was probably four feet long or so. And um, what did you say it was, Mike? Uh, a, um, like a black racer, maybe, or a rat snake racer. or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and uh, uh, Mike and I said, hey, hey, Brittany, come on over. This is, you know, check out this snake. And we're a good, you know, two yards away from it as we kind of point at it. And she just walks right over to this thing, grabs it, <laughs> it bites her on the hand, and she just <gasps> us and said, oh, it bit me. 
I mean, she's fearless in general, <laughs> but the spider, she will do the spider dance. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have no fear of snakes. And my fear of spiders is totally irrational because I fear hardly any other animal. I'll touch and pick up just about anything. But I run into a spider web and I have a full-on meltdown. Yeah. Well, I, I was, to be honest, at the beginning, I just didn't know where you were going with this. Because Neither I didn't did really, I, I, well, I, nope. <laughs> this is very, actually, it was very helpful because I didn't really think that anyone who's an entomologist or even a, like a, somebody who works in pest control would have any fear of any bugs. I just assumed it all fell under the same umbrella of like, there's people who are, are don't like bugs and don't want anything to do with them. And then you guys. So this was a, came as a surprise to me that you have this fear of spiders, but also I think it, it was a good idea to sort of present this information to make people feel like they're not alone. This is sort of a normal fear or a very common one. Ironically, I don't like, of all the bugs, I don't have, I'm not afraid of spiders because spiders eat bugs and I hate bugs. <laughs> so I want to get rid of the bugs. So it's funny that like it's inverted for me. I'm like, I can't any, I get really creeped out by any bug, but then when I see a spider, I'm like, that's all right. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I don't mind, but I appreciate you being, putting that information out there. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm kind of curious, Mike and Jim, do you have any fear of any arthropods? You know, not not really. Um, you know, it's funny, though, that um, once in a while, you know, you'll be outside or you'll be I remember like being in, in a crawl space doing termite inspections and you kind of get surprised by a spider web in your face and you get and I would get really freaked out. And then I would remind myself, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm not afraid of bugs. That kicks in and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm not afraid of bugs. Yeah, I'm not I don't think I'm scared yeah. of any like any arthropods, none of that stuff freaks me out. But again, crawl spaces, it, you know, two things. One is constantly scared that I'm going to run into a really upset like possum or a raccoon in there. And then the other thing, you know, while we're sharing, is that crawling out of a crawl space, particularly a dark crawl space, and the flashlight goes out, then whatever my imagination says is behind me that's going to grab my leg as I'm trying to leave the crawl space, oh, yeah. whether it's a monster, if it's whatever, something's Pennywise. behind me and it's going to get oh. me if I don't crawl out of that crawl space as fast as possible. The faster I move, the faster it, it closes on me. So, well, that yeah. makes total so sense. bugs and arthropods, no, completely mythical creatures. Yeah. <laughs> when, when the time warrants it. Yeah. I don't like clowns either, but we don't need to go there. I'm digressing. You said really? Pennywise and now I'm just like right. not Sleep oh no, <laughs> now you're just every time you guys have to go in a crawl space now, you'll be like imagining Pennywise. Oh gosh. Sorry. <laughs> well, I, I the more I think about it, the more I like this idea of, you know, Joel, at the very end, you wait till we're done and then you give each one of us a score out of a hundred. And however you want that score to be based on is completely up to you. Whether it's if you think that it's you know, humor is the, the biggest factor, creativity, relevance, whatever you want that to be. Um, that's uh I, I like this idea. I feel like I I feel like I need to give a score. Oh, yeah. Do not say anything yet. Because I have no, I have no, nothing to compare it to. All right, Jim, are you, uh, are you ready to give your five minute breakdown of world changing? I am. And I'm hoping that Jill scores me on the inverse of incompetency. Because I'll be scoring high. I'm happy to give mine. So, you know, hold on to your seats because the title of this one is really exciting. Uh, and the title is 
Reported county-level distribution of Lyme disease spirochetes, Borrelia burgdorferi sensu stricto, and Borrelia meonii in host-seeking Ixodes scapularius and Ixodes pacificus ticks in the contiguous United States. You just, you got me, Jim. I'm here for it. You're hooked like, now. W- once you have that Latin in there, like, All right, just yes. a reminder, your time right. starts after you finish wait. your title. So starting okay, now. Okay, my time is going. This, um, this research uh, was recently published, actually may just be being published uh, this month in the Journal of Medical Entomology. And the work was performed by Amy Fleshman at CDC's National Center for Emerging and Zoonotic Infectious Diseases in Fort Collins, uh, Colorado, uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, as you know, of course, and many of us have been uh, in contact uh, with folks that have contracted Lyme disease. It's the most common vector-borne disease in the United States. And if it's not diagnosed and treated early, its effects can really be uh, debilitating for the patient. Um, many times other uh, vector-borne diseases, whether it's Zika or Triple E or West Nile virus, get a lot more attention from the media. Um, but Lyme disease is actually the most important and most common vector-borne illness uh, in the U.S. It's caused um, not by the tick itself, the deer tick, um, or Ixodes scapularius um, in the east, or the bear tick in the west, which is Ixodes um, uh, pacificus, um, but a pathogen or a, a microorganism that is transmitted to humans through the bite of that tick. Um, and that uh, microorganism or the spirochete is uh, named Borrelia burgdorferi. Um, less commonly, uh, uh, Borrelia meonii is, is the other pathogen. Um, and so what this group of researchers at CDC um, wanted to do was map the presence of the pathogen um, in ticks at the county level um, across um, the uh, kind of range of where these ticks are found. So they know where the ticks are found, they know where disease happens, but oftentimes disease is hard to pin down to a place because you never know where you got bitten by the tick. Um, they know the distribution of the tick, but they wanted to know within that distribution, um, where was the disease found? And, um, and so what they determined was that the disease pathogen was found across 26 states um, in 384 counties. And they determined this by basically searching records in the CDC database as um, ticks are tested and the pathogen is discovered. Uh, that's reported at the county or the state level to the CDC database. Um, they also uh, went through records of published papers um, in which they um, uh, which ticks were tested and determined to contain uh, the spirochete microorganism. Uh, now, the most important thing to know about this research and what they found is that the distribution of the infected ticks is more limited than the distribution of the host or the vector tick. Um, so although the deer tick is found across a wide range of states, the, um, the they only discovered the uh, disease-causing pathogen in a smaller geographic um, uh, a range. And so that's important to know um, as uh, CDC or public health officials are trying to uh, go forth with educational materials or warnings about Lyme disease, how to focus their efforts there. 
Um, and it's also important for pest management professionals, right? Because um, they can then target their own education and outreach and marketing with regard to their important um, tick management services um, to these areas um, where um, they'll have the greatest impact in terms of protecting people from uh, the pathogen that causes Lyme disease. Now, it's important when we look at the um, at the um, distribution map, and there's a great map. And if there's a way, Mike, it would be really cool to have a link to go to that map so we can see, so the listeners can kind of click through to it. Um, but when you look at that map, there are just, there are holes in it. So there may be, for instance, a great example is Prince William County, where um, Mike and Brittany and I all live here in Virginia. Um, there, um, the the pathogens found. Um, Loudoun County, which is kind of just to the north of us, um, it has not been found or it has not been reported. Just above that is Frederick County, Maryland, where it has been. There's no reason to believe that ticks in Loudoun County are prote are are protected from um, this disease-causing organism, and so we would expect they're there, but they're not haven't been reported yet. Same thing goes for other important places like Baltimore County, Maryland. There's no records. That doesn't mean that. The, uh, the disease-causing organism isn't there, um, but instead that it just has not been reported. So that's my, uh, that's my report this week, but um, even on a really kind of complicated sounding paper, um, it can give some real practical information, I think. And so that's it. So, so I guess I didn't totally understand though, because you were saying have... how like you have, if you have these three like counties you, you may not have reporting in one county, but you know that that means that you still know that the pathogen is there. So what is the map? So, so what is it, what does the map show? Or like, what is, what, what, what data was um, collected from this mm -hmm. paper? Uh, what the map would show. So a positive account in any county would mean that there has been a tick that has been um, collected and then has been tested and determined that yeah. the spirochete was present in that tick. Um, and so just because a tick hadn't been tested there or reported doesn't mean that those ticks don't have the Lyme disease pathogen. So it shouldn't give you false hope. Like okay. everyone go to Loudoun County and you're blurry. Oh, okay. um, but instead, so there, you do have to be cautious with that kind of data because it's, there's no reason to believe that those ticks wouldn't be in infected, especially when, you know, every other county surrounding has a report. And is that the point of the paper? The point, to tell the you point that, is that the distribution yeah. of ticks, of, of the um, deer tick, is actually much broader than the, um, than the disease incidence. And so in the southern parts of the U.S. where oh, you still okay. might find uh, deer ticks, um, actually, the incidence of uh, the spirochete is um, is is there. Are, it's less likely to have that spirochete in those ticks, and part of it has to do with those ticks are feeding on different things and acting and behaving in different ways than those ticks in the north. Could it? Is it also have anything to do with like people being out less in this? I don't know. I mean. Like less likely they to suspect that it has. Well, they are less likely to be bitten too because they have a different questing behavior. Um, ticks in the more southern regions um, uh, don't don't tend to quest on high grass looking for their quest. Meaning quest? Uh, they don't look for food. So if you take a walk through the woods, the oh. ticks that latch onto you 
are typically like at the yeah. end of like some weed and they're like have their legs out just waiting for some of them to walk by the ticks in the south are are um are um have a, a feed on a lot of uh, reptiles oh and lizards and that sort of thing oh, which are going to okay. be lower to the ground so their questing behavior is different yeah oh interesting Oh, okay. That's interesting. Actually, that because I, I, I did always, I have a lot of family like up in the Northeast and I, I mean, I know it's like a huge issue up there for them. So I was wondering why, I never really knew why it was like so kind of concentrated or it seemed like it was pretty, it's such a big problem in that part yeah, of the country. It is. Um, and when you look at that map, you see that it's kind of the Northeastern mid-Atlantic states, especially, but then those North Central states and Michigan and then in the mm -hmm. kind of the Pacific Northwest as well. Okay, gotcha. Um, okay, so is it Mike, my, turn. my turn now? Good job. It's your turn. Okay, all right. So uh, just I'll go through and I'll read my title, and then I'll start my clock as well. Um, if you guys want to keep a clock, that's fine too. But um, I'll try to keep track of my time. So. Uh, the title of the article published in the journal Insects that I'm going to be summarizing in five minutes or less here is First Report on the Acrobat Ant Chromatogaster Scutellaris Storing Live Aphids in Its Oak Gull Nests. Oh, Time boy. Now. Yeah, so um, we deal with, there's about 15,000 different species, 15,000 plus different species of ants around the world. But in general, in terms of pest control, we really only deal with you know, a handful of them, depending on where you're at. Acrobat ants in general aren't usually one of the most important pest species that we deal with. They're more of an outdoor pest than an indoor pest, so they're not always on every pest management professional's radar, but they certainly can become an issue um, depending on how landscape management efforts and things are outside the home. Um, so acrobat ants is kind of a collective term for a number of different species of ants that all belong to the genus Chromatogaster. So this specific journal is talking about one specific species of a general group of ants called um, acrobat ants. Um, it's more of an ecology paper than anything, but there was one really cool kind of unique thing that they pointed out in this. Um, we know it's well documented that ants have these mutualistic or beneficial relationships with other organisms. So a lot of different insects um, as well as plants. And so usually they get um, you know, a food uh, resource or they'll get a place to stay. Maybe a tree just naturally, the twig in the tree naturally stays hollow um, and the ants can go in and actually live inside that hollow tree branch or inside of a, a hole in a thorn that the tree naturally makes on its own in exchange for protection from that ant. This mutualistic behavior is pretty well documented in a lot of different species. And so this paper was looking at mutualistic relationships between a bunch of, a, a few different ant species and uh, a few different trees that they're found on. And what they were looking at was um, how these ants interacted with this little thing that can grow on a tree called a gull. And a gull is a fancy word for, think something about the size of a dime. Um, it's like a little tumor that grows on the tree. And it's actually the result of another parasitic insect infecting that tree and, and leading to the development of these gulls. So the tree doesn't naturally produce these galls on their own, but ants will capitalize on the presence of these, go find them, actually hollow them out, and then live inside of them. So they were looking at these uh, acrobat ants and, and how they were living inside these galls compared to other species. They found something pretty unique. Um, what they found was that these acrobat ants were actually taking and bringing live aphids so it's a plant feeding insect called an aphid. They bring them into these gulls 
make a special little chamber inside the gull and then store these live aphids there. Now, a lot of different other ant species, including acrobat ants, will um, protect aphids and tend aphids in exchange for carbohydrates. So they go and they'll fend off predators uh, that, you know, that may try to feed on the aphid and in exchange, uh, the ant will come over and tap the aphid with its antenna and the aphid will actually produce a sugary solution that the ants then can feed on. Um, there's a bunch of different instances where it's been documented that different levels of these mutualistic relationships in the past have been documented with uh, a number of different ant species, whether it's just simply protecting the aphids. There are some ant species that will actually farm aphids, so they'll move them from, you know, one leaf to maybe a, a greener, younger leaf where the aphids can feed on even better. Um, and it can get really, really intricate. They can get to the point to where some uh, ants will actually collect aphid eggs and hold them in their nest and then bring those eggs out at the first signs of spring and start putting those on ideal areas or the eggs will hatch inside the nest and they'll bring the, the nymphs, the, the um, aphid nymphs out and then put them on the trees. So this readily available carbohydrate source as soon as springtime shows up. The unique thing here is that this is the first time this behavior has ever been documented with acrobat ants. Um, they're not entirely sure exactly why they're doing this. The assumption right now is that it's probably for some sort of food exchange. Uh, most likely it's that because they found no signs of, uh, of predation or damage to the aphids at all. Um, so the fact that they're going through such great lengths to care for these aphids and everything probably suggests that they're taking these aphids, holding them through the winter, allowing the aphids to overwinter as adults, and then bringing those aphids out at the first signs of spring. The, the big impact for me for reading this, because I, I love ants, is that, you know, acrobat ants are a species that we've overly studied for a very long period of time. And to find a new behavior like this is pretty interesting and impactful from the sense that it just kind of further underscores the fact that we still are learning a lot about a number of pest ant species. We still ha have no idea what's going to be right around the corner when it comes to, uh, you know, other uh, impactful behaviors that could lead to better pest management. And also, you know, further underscores the idea that we really need to focus on habitat management going into the wintertime, because if we're knocking back aphids, uh, we could potentially have long-term impacts on the uh, rebounding potential of ant species into the winter. That is my time. Seven seconds over, disqualified. <laughs> well, it's not as bad as 49 seconds over, so slow your roll, Campbell. Oh, I had a lot of fire stories. I, can't I told you it. to get right into your title and you spent a minute and 12 seconds. I couldn't even start the clock yet because you wanted to redo your intro. <laughs> hey, it's my first time. It was, you did, you did great. That was good. I think it was, good. I mean, honestly, I think it was really good that Brittany got some stuff off her chest today. <laughs> it was like yeah. a therapy session. I, really just I, I feel like we're working towards some yeah. real progress. Yeah. Yeah. Therapy I podcast. Really just wanted a person personal therapy session. So before yeah. everybody else still so Jill, did you have any? Yeah, I have questions. Um, um, the, the first thing, oh, one of the last things you said was that you were talking about habit management and that like going into the winter months to, to work on habit management. Is that, so what do you mean by that? Like that? Yeah, that was me kind of like spitting fragmented thought out because I saw that I just got because <laughs> oh, you were running minutes. out of time <laughs> and then and then Brittany showed me that I was over five minutes so I got <laughs> I started to like stress sweat um so it, when when we manage uh you know trying to manage ants there's a bunch of different things you could do and one of the things that you could do is try to make the environment around the home less habitable to ants uh we know okay. that they, and aphids and everything else for a food source so 
you know, affecting the environment where aphid populations could flourish would then knock back a potential food source, making that area less inviting to ants. So in this case, you know, making sure that, you know, landscape management's well-maintained and things like that, not letting bushes overgrow, uh, doing things to potentially impact the likelihood that uh, aphids are going to continue, that populations of aphids can flourish in your yard could have not only immediate impacts on ant populations, but based on what we learned from this study, I mean, they could be taking and holding those aphids over to, to allow those aphids to overwinter, giving them a huge jump start in the next spring. Because oh, so, <clears throat> so this, okay, I was kind of like picturing this whole thing in like a forest, but this was like, this could be in somebody's backyard. Yeah, so this specific study was done in Italy um, and the specific species of acrobat ant that they were looking at is found throughout uh, many parts of the world, but they were looking at it in Italy. So it, this was the very first time this behavior has been documented. So the logical next step would be to start evaluating other species to see if they're exhibiting similar behaviors. Um, I don't think it would be too much of a stretch to assume that this possibly could be happening with other uh, acrobats ant species, just because of the fact that their foraging behaviors and everything are so similar. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's happening all over the world, but it certainly means that it could potentially be going on. So. And so are you talking, like, I'm trying to picture, picture, because you're also talking about these ants are bringing aphids into this mm -hmm. thing, like mm -hmm. bump in the, are they, yeah, no, are they like carrying, are they like carrying aphids? Like, yeah, are they, they literally pick them up and then yeah. bring the adults, wingless adults into. And the aphids can't protect, they can't like keep themselves, like ants are more able to just like pick them up and walk away with them. Yeah, I mean, so because of this mutualistic relationship with a lot of these aphid species, um, they just know that the ants aren't going to harm them, so they just kind of oh, right. yeah, yeah. ride. Um, yeah. And a lot of these aphid species can reproduce without, uh, you know, without mating with the opposite sex. So they can oh, just okay. they can just start producing, you know, laying eggs that um, unfertilized eggs that can uh, produce other individuals. So, you know, they hold a couple adults those adults over winter and then they bring them out very first, you know, as soon as it starts to warm up and it's warm enough for the aphids to start feeding on new plant growth. Gotcha. All right. So I think that if there's no other questions for that paper, that concludes our first effort to try to, and this was good. This was a nice broad scope of papers um so this was this was i think everybody did a great job of, of finding something um this paper was just published on january 27th of this year so hope you know hot off the presses great hot off the digital press that or i didn't start looking for a paper until january 27th for this. <laughs> so what do you think Jill? oh my gosh first of all i hate scoring people that stresses me out now i'm like now i'm stressed well, this is like off. whose line is it anyway, where the points are made up and the prizes. Okay, okay, okay. So First of like all, this, I also yeah, this. like it's also hard to compare because all three were so different. Like Brittany was coming from a place of just like sharing a personal story and trying to like make people understand that this is being documented, that people how people feel about spiders. Jim was very specific, like data driven. And then Mike was like, I think definitely Mike was the nerdiest, I would say, if that's also one of the where where we're scoring. Like you're high on the nerd factor that you were like, oh, the ants and aphids. A, Let me read this article. I think this it. exercise <laughs> is no longer fun. 
I thought I was prepared for Jill's criticism. I am not. <laughs> Your words cut deep, Jill. They cut deep. I like how you guys can like, you guys can call yourselves nerds, but when I do it, you're like, hold on, slow down. <laughs> um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Mike one. I found Ooh. I found that to be the most. There was like a lot of information. I got a lot of, a lot out of it. Um, so yes, is was that it because it was the easiest one, the easiest paper to follow? Because I thought Jim's was interesting, but it was there was a lot of science. Yeah, more. I was having trouble understanding and picturing. And maybe if I'd had the map, the visual map, that would have helped. But um, well, also, I think with Mike's, I was like, actually, I would say all three. This is another thing too: is that the titles are intimidating. Like when you guys read the titles, I would, I would just close this paper. I would be like, I'm not going to read this because this is, I'm not going to be able to understand this. But when you explain it, that it made more sense. So, um, yes, that's where. Right. I stand. Well, for for uh, uh, the uh, to preserve all of our psyches, there's no need to figure out who's the second and third place. We'll just simply and the, and here's what first place gets you: you have to go first next episode. So you kind of lose for winning because I think Brittany had the hardest one out of all of us because she yeah. had to go first. That's Not true. only was it first; it was the very first one ever. So. So so Mike, do you so two things like you won that was really cool. Um, and, uh, but you also will hold the, um, the title of, of King nerd until our next, our next podcast, uh, in February yeah. or in March. So I think that what we'll probably need to do is get some sort of a sweet decorated trucker hat, or maybe some sort of gold medal that, uh, each one of us can don if we, uh, are the winner. Um, well, here, since it was an ant topic, I'm just going to hold this as my, this is my nerd trophy. So I'm holding a, <laughs> a cast of a fire ant mound. That is a real nerd trophy. Yeah. I think Mike may have won, but this is an important lesson for me to know your audience. Like if Jill was afraid of spiders, I think. I would uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I messed up. I should have you done know what? a survey prior to. I, what I was hoping for, I was hoping one of you guys were going to tell me what I can do to just like escape the cicada brood. Because we've talked about this before. That's my true disgust and fear. I'm planning on just like shutting all the doors, not going outside for the entire time that they come here, that they're here. That's my goal. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm that's so excited sucks. about this. Yeah. yeah. I know. You guys are nuts. I was going to say, you guys Jim, are nuts. Jim, I think you have more experience than, than Brittany and I, but I mean, yeah, I mean, there, this is awesome. Like this is, it's a natural wonder. Yeah. Brittany, you'll have to move to another state for like six weeks. I have to, <laughs> six weeks. I was like planning on leaving. Like in my mind, actually, like this was going to happen with the pandemic. I didn't know the pandemic was going to be happening. So I was going to be like in another country. Like we were going to like schedule like a six weeks. I thought it was going to be like two weeks. Four to six, right, Jim? Yeah. Four to six yeah, weeks. It could, it, it's, it's not, I mean, it's, it's hard to really know, but I would expect that they could start in certain areas in mid-May and go right into July. I need like a bomb shelter. It's so cool. <laughs> it's so gross. Mike and Brittany, you guys and were not here the last time. No. So the, the last the last one that I was here for was the one that was supposed to be like where it would overlap in Northern Virginia. And it was, there was hardly any activity because I mean, you pointed out before Jim, like pretty much every place that 17 years before that was open wooded area and now it's just 
paved over by sidewalks and parking garages and apartment complexes and and grocery stores. So this was fun. I think this worked out good, Mike. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, I think actually one thing, it's funny because since you guys are coming from the world of academia, like I, I don't even totally know what you guys mean by like a paper. Like I, you know, I like, what is there a way to, I mean, you have the title, you say the title, but, or me, I don't know, maybe you can explain at the beginning, actually, like, what is the purpose of papers? Like, scientists periodically publish these when, I think, I, I think in my mind, I think I was, with Jim, I was, like, a little bit confused, because it seemed like, I thought papers were, like, they publish papers when there's, like, some big, huge new information, but yours was seeming like it was, like, it's, it, is it more just, like, um, sometimes the results of whatever has been, like, researched is, like, may seem, like, not a big piece of information but it's just like another kind of building block and like understanding. exactly what it is so like okay. almost any like research that's done that is you know worthwhile and someone might find useful in their research in the future is published and so there's like hundreds of these articles hundreds of these papers that are that are published in many many different journals um, with different titles like mine was from the journal of medical entomology there's bikes mm-hmm. was from a journal called insects and there's journal of economic entomology journal of environmental entomology like ton like i don't know tons yeah um and so um you know and then there's there's some journals that are like a more highly esteemed like nature and science are like you know, the yeah. top, top you know and so those are the ones that that research winds up you know if it's if it really is kind of interesting to most people that's the stuff that like new york times will get a hold you know that's be like reported yeah 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 um yeah it's like the really groundbreaking stuff or the super sciencey stuff that happens to be groundbreaking but many people can't understand it yeah okay all right, all right. well thanks thanks, thanks everybody i appreciate it um and uh start scouring those journal articles again and uh Brittany, i'm gonna send you a timer that is set for five minutes so you can start to familiarize yourself with how long that time period actually is i'll do better not including all my anecdotes and stories just trying to be fun but whatever you just there was a lot i understand you needed to get a lot of your chest together i had a lot to talk about i had a lot of background yes. <laughs> i like the roller skate story that was yeah. very charming yeah yes. so uh, join us very, next yeah. time for our therapy session and our know, right? deep dive into the latest and most current science news <laughs> i think it's I mean, we did learn a lot you packed a lot into that first couple of minutes of your paper. I had a lot to talk about and I still covered the highlights of the paper mostly. I missed a few things I wanted to talk about you guys stressed me out, but we got to do it. One minute of study, nine minutes of childhood upbringing and fear of spiders and boots. It's important though in the paper, that's like half the things that happened to me as a child are reasons why people are afraid of spiders. Whatever, you edit it out. I'm, I'm, out, I'm done. Like coasted chucking um, your your nine fingered aunt. <laughs> I, the, your dad throwing a spider at you is crazy. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he, I mean. he was he's funny guy. He's great. Real fun. <laughs> sounds great. He sounds hilarious. Yeah, he liked to pick on me a lot. All my fears. Oh, also man. heights. Uh, got a story for that. We don't have to do oh. today. But yeah. Interesting.
Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Come on. All right. Bye, you guys. Yeah, Jill, hey, Jill. Bye, thanks buddy. again. Really, really appreciate this. Uh, you, you were, you were perfect. So. Oh, it was my yeah, pleasure. Spot awesome. on. Lots of fun. All right, I'll Bye. give you that ten dollars that Bye, I owe everyone. you for picking me as the winner later. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. All right, everybody. <laughs> All right. Bye.